0: So the inn is open to all.
1: It is absolutely open to all.
0: I'm Beatrice Collier. And I'm Georgina Wolfe. And this is the Pupilage
2: Podcast brought to you by Middle Temple and us, your hosts. It's a podcast for anyone considering a career as a barrister, from students at school, university or on the law conversion or bar course. It's for those contemplating a career change later in life and wondering what it might entail. And it's for the army of pupillage applicants out there. From those applying for pupillage for the first time to the battle-weary giving it
0: just one last go. We know that at times the search for pupillage can seem daunting. So in each episode, we talk to junior barristers, fresh from their own pupillages, members of pupillage committees, senior barristers, QCs, judges, masters of the bench, and lots of other guests, and ask them for their advice, what to do, what to avoid, and how to succeed. Today, we're talking about the Inns of Court, what they are, and how they can help you on your quest for pupillage. The Inns sound like something straight out of the pages of the Da Vinci Code, so let's jump in with our first guest. Master Wilmot Smith was the
2: Master Treasurer of Middle Temple in 2018. He was called to the bar in 1978
0: and took silk in 1994. He welcomed us into his office, sandwiched between Middle Temple Lane and the serving of some rather fabulous looking puddings in Hall, to talk about life in the Middle Temple.
2: Master Wilmot-Smith, welcome to the Pupilish podcast. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you.
3: Pleasure to be here.
2: The inns each comprise groups of people. So we've got students, hall, Benchers, and of course the staff who keep this show on the road. Can you tell our listeners what is meant by hall and who or what are the benches?
3: You start with hall. When you're called to the bar, you're automatically a member of hall, which sounds a very odd thing, but because you're called in the hall. Uh, and when you get old, um, like I am, you get asked to form part of the governing body of the inn, and they are called benches. Uh, the fact that they are benches doesn't mean they sit on a judicial bench, it's just something historically what they are called. So the governing body are, are the, the bench and everybody else is the hall, or more properly, everybody joins hall and then they graduate to the bench if uh, if, if if they are um, asked to do so.
2: Thank you. I, did, I didn't know that hall is called hall because when you're called it happens in the hall I, it now finally makes sense to me <laughs>
3: it does sound bizarre doesn't it yes it does. but there is a very poignant picture in a book called the history of middle temple of a call to the bar ceremony in the 1940s after the inn had suffered war damage and you see the inn open to the elements and about five uh cally barristers including one in uniform waiting to be called so i always think of that when i think of hall
0: well, talking about traditions in the inn, one thing um, that we think may concern some students is that, of course, in the heart of Middle and Inner Temple, there is a very beautiful church. And we wonder, for those listeners who are not religious or come from different religions, is Middle Temple a religious institution?
3: Not at all. It has its charter from originally James the I and now Queen Elizabeth II, uh, which requires it to keep the church the church is a very ancient building, hundreds and hundreds of years old, and part of the deal we have of having the, these marvellous buildings and this marvellous um, part of London and owning it is that we keep the church going, uh, both physically uh, and in terms of providing the uh, the vicars and the which we call the the reader and the master of the temple and the organists and other such people. And actually, if you are a practising Christian, uh, the church services are wonderful to go to, Uh, but certainly it's not something which um, is expected of people, and indeed, um, church attendance on Sundays by barristers is rather sparse.
0: (laughs) I noticed recently at a dinner that the grace had changed that is said before meals, and I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that.
3: Historically, Um, lawyers in England have uh, in the last many centuries have been either Jewish or Christian and not had any other, have not been people of other religions by and large. The Middle Temple um, therefore regarded itself historically as a Christian institution and therefore saying grace before meals as a Christian uh, was a natural thing to do. Uh, What exercised me at the time was that the treasurers of the inn who were Jewish were then therefore not eligible to say the grace uh, before the dinner. And dinner being a ritual, the saying of the grace is part of the ritual. And if it is said by the treasurer of the inn, as it should be, then the treasurer of the inn is participating in it. But I sat and watched Jewish treasurers of the inn standing aside while somebody else said it. And it seemed to me that was outrageous and should be changed.
2: Certainly my experience of the inn has been that it's been very welcoming and supportive of any contribution that I might want to make. And I think that uh, we can assure our listeners that if they join Middle Temple, that's a sort of welcome that they can expect.
3: Well, I hope so. It it doesn't mean somebody won't have a bad experience at some time, but uh, I sincerely hope so, that the staff um, are very welcoming. Um, and I think it begins in the education department and Krista Richmond there and fans out throughout the inn. Um, So, yes, good. I'm I'm glad of that Um, uh, um, because that's the intention. If you are a member of this inn, you should be welcoming it.
0: Master Wilmot-Smith, how did you choose your inn?
3: I chose this inn for um, a very idiosyncratic reason. I was an undergraduate in America and... I read about Middle Temple's close association with the United States, and that was why I joined. Uh, All the other inns are every bit as good as us. Uh, Their traditions may be slightly different in some respects, but certainly if you're going to choose an inn, I'd recommend particularly today that you look at their websites and just go and visit. Uh, And there may be very strange things which cause um, cause you to join, none of which have anything to do with your practice. Um, but they're all terrific.
0: Yes, some of them have some rather impressive alumni, like Mahatma Gandhi, I think, was a member of Inner Temple. He's Inner
3: Temple, that's true, yes. Um, we have some quite good ones, and I think they all have they all have excellent ones, really. Um, small, Gray's Inn is smaller physically. It's slightly further away from the law courts. Um uh, but it, it is immensely charming. Lincoln's Inn, likewise, scene of several Trollope novels, uh, and Inner and Middle Temple are very close together. You can't really split them uh, objectively, but subjectively, yes. If, everybody's a, if anybody's a member of Middle Temple, they will think it is w- wonderful, but I think if anybody's a member of any other end, they will come in turn think of theirs as likewise.
0: Um, is there anything else about Middle Temple that you would like to convey to our listeners?
3: It's one of the four inns of court. It is, I hope, friendly and welcoming. It is trying uh, to ensure there is proper outreach so people from non-traditional backgrounds, as we now say, uh, come to the bar. In other words, not all double-barrel sons of middle-class people.
0: Wonderful. Same aspiration as this podcast. I recently heard Krista Richmond described as the heart of the inn. We talked to Krista who you may remember Ubediri in episode one referred to as her critical point of contact at Middle Temple and heard about some of the things on offer from the education team here in Middle Temple.
2: Krista Richmond welcome to the Pupillage podcast thank you very much for coming to talk to us could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do here at the inn? Well, thank you very much for asking me. Um, I'm
4: essentially the school headmistress. I'm the director of education, which means that I head the department which looks after all aspects of education, Um, admission to the inn, disciplinary matters, all educational activities, all the sort of fringe educational activities, and uh, I'm probably the first point of contact for most people who come to the inn and sort of to try and find out a bit more about it, either myself or a member of my team.
2: Certainly you're the first person I I think about when I think about Middle Temple. Me too.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's very nice to know.
2: You mentioned educational activities. Could you share with our listeners what the inn can offer them? Right. There are, I would say,
4: two types of activities. One is a set of events which every uh, bar student has to complete in order to be called to the bar, obviously in addition to passing the exams in the first place. We call them qualifying sessions. Um, Older members of the bar will probably refer to them as dinners, Um, and at one stage people had to eat lots of dinners, and it gives you kind of indigestion just to think about it. Now um, it's interpreted much more as a social event in the broadest sense, coupled with with an educational activity. So, for example, there may be a dinner Um, which is preceded by a lecture um, and then goes on into a sort of dance or music night, or it could be a long lecture followed by a reception, or it could be a residential weekend. In fact, the residential weekends are three qualifying sessions in one go. Um, Essentially, the point of them is that you pick up the kind of, shall we say, the bridge between um, the academic and vocational study of the law and uh, the professional community. So it's a, there are educational contents, obviously there are, um, but the subtext is that you are starting to feel like a member of the professional community, which will affect, uh, well, I suppose, the, the kind of ethos which informs your work later on. So that's the formal stuff. Um, informally, uh, we've got a very active Middle Temple Students' Association, and we've got a very active Middle Temple Young Barristers Association, young meaning junior to the profession rather than young in age, because we don't make a distinction there, as you probably know. Um, We support them in putting on their own educational activities, and that might be um, advice on pupillage um, applications.
2: These are, are what you've just described, Krista, are events that the... Students' Association or the Young Barristers' Association have initiated. Is that right? But, That's right. But which the Inn is happy to support.
4: Absolutely. So we we try. Um, obviously, we help with advertising and things like that. We help with finding speakers if they need that. We provide the space. So it's uh, it's very much part of our of our work. And um, I hope this doesn't sound too pompous, but we pride ourselves on um, making it easy for people to 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 access those kind of events and to feel comfortable with them, which to my mind is quite an important part of it, it uh, because it can be quite a forbidding place. I'm very much aware of that. And uh, the more often you come, um, the easier it becomes to make it your professional home and to move in it as a fright, which I think is a really important aspect and, and in sort of entering the profession um, because it will help you with i don't know talking to more senior people either in informally or in pupillage interviews or anything like that so yes it is an important part of it
0: and and although the inn is based in london you also run events i think out of london
4: yes we do indeed um four events uh, can be undertaken outside london one of them tends to be organized by the bar provider but three of them are organized by the inns stroke students there and of course we help with those as well
2: fantastic Krista Richmond, thank you ever so much for having come to speak to the Pupilage podcast.
4: <laughs>
0: thank you very much. We heard some more about this topic from Michael Pollock. Welcome, Michael,
2: to the Pupilage podcast. Thank you very much for coming in today.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: Could you just explain to our listeners who you are and what you do?
5: Well, I am a uh, barrister called in 2012. I practice from Church Court Chambers, which is just behind Temple Church. I'm a vice president of the Middleton Blue Young Barristers Association. I've had lots of roles there, from pupillage officer to tenancy officer to um, development officer, um, and I've enjoyed being part of that. And I think uh, Matiba is something which makes Middle Temple very special. Uh, I think we're the most active students organisation out of any of the inns. Uh, the inn gives us, um, supports us a lot, which is good, uh, and we were able to put on, I think, quite a, quite a lot of good quality events. So we had, um, earlier this year, our annual dinner in this room. We're sitting in, at the moment, the Queen's room, uh, and we had uh, the Lord Chief Justice as our speaker, who was very interesting uh, to listen to, and we had a great range of all different young barristers from all different backgrounds... Uh, it was a fantastic evening, and uh, everyone had a great time there. So that's a more kind of social event, but we do uh, CPD events as well. Uh, that's, this- that's
0: continuing professional development.
5: It is, yes. Uh, and this year we've, we've tried to do a kind of skills, lawyer's skills type uh, session. Those skills you don't necessarily learn in the bar course, but, but you, you, you need to uh, be able to practice successfully. Uh, we did, uh, the first one was on mental health law, and we had uh, top psychologists, uh, experts in mental health law um, who came in. They were fantastic, actually. Uh, and we all learned a lot about that because it's something which isn't, isn't necessarily covered. And no one knows anything about it. But then you're kind of thrown in dealing with um, people who have a, a range of different mental health problems. So that was a great, a great event. The, the, the speakers were really good on that. We did one on police law as well, uh, which, went, uh, which went well. We had Pat Gallon. Who was really good and it was about a week after she uh retired yeah so we, we were kind of the first we, it, it just felt like that we were lucky so we were kind of the first uh, public speaking event she did afterwards and she was really engaging
0: and she was the deputy commissioner of the Metropolitan Police is
5: that right she was and she 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 became um she became deputy commissioner after going from the very bottom all the way up to the top um and it was very inspiring actually i'm um it, it was it was great to hear about how she made it there and uh, so she's an example of the kind of people we try to bring in um, to the end to to speak to uh, our our young members and um she she spoke a lot about how the police actually work which is something another thing they don't teach you when you when you go to practice and it's useful for civil practice criminal practice all different areas and we finished off that uh, CPD series for this year with one on um, disclosure with jerry hayes uh, who came in and spoke about the liam allen case um, which was very interesting as well um other things that that
2: Who's sorry? Just, just, just for our listeners, who's Jerry Hayes?
5: Uh, Jerry Hayes is a, a barrister from Goldsmith Chambers. He's an ex uh, Conservative member of Parliament, and he acted in the Liam Allen case uh, for the prosecution. And that was a case where Liam Allen was accused of uh, sexual offences, I believe, rape. And on the first day of the trial, his barrister she requested disclosure of um, of all the uh, text messages. Which uh, previously they were told, the defence were told there weren't actually any text messages, uh, and Gerry uh, got those text messages over to her, and she she spent all night reading them and found um, text messages which sh- which uh, showed a plan um, to uh, by the complainant in that case to create trouble for for Lee in effect. So uh, the case was dropped when those were disclosed or they were found out. But it was very lucky that. Um, that his defence barrister spent all night looking through them because otherwise it's very likely that he would have been found guilty. And all the work she did, of course, was, uh, in effect, pro bono work because um, it, it was unused material, which there's no payment for unused material, and she did that off her own back because she's a professional. It shouldn't be like that, of course, but uh, that's, that's the way it is. So that was a very interesting um, talk we had here.
2: Yes, it sounds like, it sounds like Matiba is a wonderful way... Forty-five years ago, a young David Bean joined Middle Temple as a student. Today, Lord Justice Bean is the 2019 Master Treasurer of Middle Temple. Master Bean was called to the Bar in 1976 and took silk in 1997. He was appointed a bencher of Middle Temple in 2001. In 2002, he was Chairman of
0: the General Council of the Bar and he became a High Court Judge in 2004. In 2014, he was elevated to the Court of Appeal and Privy Council. In today's episode, Master Bean told us what the Inns of Court are, why Middle Temple's hall is the best, and gave us some reassuring advice from the start of his own career.
2: Master Bean, welcome to the Pupillage podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us. We're going to talk to you today about the Inns of Court. I wondered if you could start by explaining to our listeners what exactly is an Inn of Court.
1: Middle Temple is one of the four Inns of Court... Every uh, prospective barrister who's going to practice in England and Wales has to join one of the four inns of court. Uh, We've all been around for about 500 years, uh, give or take. Um, All four inns are based in London, although they have members throughout England and Wales. Um, We have a wonderful hall... um, which was built in the reign of the first Queen Elizabeth, premier of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, took part there. Uh, we have a library um, uh, and lovely gardens. And the inn is also the owner of uh, a number of buildings where barristers practice in chambers. So that's, that's the physical setup, but the inn is also a community of judges, practising barristers, and students.
2: And you you are, from the 1st of January 2019, Treasurer of Middle Temple. Could you explain what, what that means?
1: Yes. Treasurer um, is the term for non-executive chair for the year uh, of the inn. Um, we have, of course... Uh, Staff led by the under-treasurer as chief executive. But the treasurer uh, presides at events in hall, uh, chairs the inn's executive committee and and so on, and is the representative face of the inn for, for the rest of the profession and the outside world. We're all equal in our... Um, uh, relations with one another so it doesn't matter whether the bencher you're talking to is a Supreme Court Justice or or a member of the Junior Bar they're still in formal terms Master Smith or Master Jones. in fact outside meetings we call one another by our first names as you would expect
0: To know that you can call everybody who is a bencher Master so and so, male or female is, is rather wonderfully egalitarian
1: Well I hope so The fact that the inn organises social occasions, which may be um, uh, dinners where um, uh, benches and members of hall and students uh, mix or uh, the residential weekends for advocacy training at Cumberland Lodge or in York, um, these are all opportunities for young members of the inn and students to find that judges are reasonably human, most of them, (laughs) if you talk to them, you find that they're quite decent people.
0: Yes. One thing that students may not realise is that the sort of events run by the inn are enormously varied. They range from, I mean, everything from yoga sessions to very formal dinners and black tie dinners. Um, Some of the ones... Beatrice and I recently went to a fashion show in Middle Temple Hall. Um, I missed that, I'm afraid. (laughs) It was great fun. (laughs) Today I'm off to Cumberland Lodge to do a weekend of advocacy teaching. And there's a huge array of of things on offer for students.
1: That's right. And um, it's a wonderful opportunity for them. You you mentioned the Cumberland Lodge advocacy training uh, weekend. I, I think... Uh, many students learn more in a weekend of quite intensive um, uh, advocacy training than they would uh, earn in weeks, and we- uh, they would learn in weeks and weeks of lectures.
0: Yes, I, I definitely found that when I did. A weekend at Cumberland Lodge, and I remember too, the feedback on the bar course that I experienced tended to be very polite, whereas at Cumberland Lodge I was given much more constructive feedback that was actually very much more useful to me in improving as an advocate. But there are a huge number of valuable resources for students throughout their careers at the bar, but also in particular when they're trying to get pupillage and when they're learning to be advocates.
1: Yes.
2: I think
0: that to come back to something that you
2: said a minute ago, Master Bean, I I think it's important for students to find something that they like the sound of whether that be mindfulness or wine tasting or advocacy or whatever it is and and come along because I think it's only at that stage that you realize that the the other members of of the inn who are there whether they be judges silks or junior barristers or other students are indeed all really friendly and supportive and people who've chosen to attend these events understand that they're likely to involve students and that part of the point of an inn is to assist others in the profession wherever wherever they are if they're uh, aspirational barristers or uh, wanting to take silk or whatever it might be.
1: I think uh, although The inn has these wonderful buildings which I've described and I'm very proud to be part of that heritage. Actually, the most important thing we do is the uh, recruitment and training um, of new members of the profession um, to give them financial assistance uh, uh, where they need it and they're sufficiently talented and to try to help them Choose what area of the bar um, is going to be best for them and to do what we can to uh, help them be ready for pupillage interviews and so forth. We can't place people in chambers as um, uh, judges and benchers might have done half a century ago, nor should we, but uh, we can help in, in many ways. I also think it's very important for students to be able to get to meet and learn about barristers in different areas of practice. Some, some students think when they start studying law that they uh, liked, say, contract law, so they think, I want to be a commercial barrister, or they like criminal law and they, they want to be a criminal barrister. And actually they might find out by talking to or spending a day or two with a commercial barrister or a criminal barrister that it's not the right thing for them at all.
2: I think one of the, the, the challenges that our listeners face as they are looking for pupillage is that, as you say, it's so hard to actually understand what your life might be like in different areas of the bar, and it could be so so different, whether you're a criminal practitioner, family practitioner, commercial, chancery, whatever it might be. And so access to those who are already practising who can give you that information is is critical. And I suppose what we're saying is that the inn is a really, really important resource for people to manage to achieve that access.
1: Uh, It is, and we do it in various ways. Um, One scheme we have, which I I took part in setting up about eight years ago, um, is the Access to the Bar Awards scheme. Um, People... uh, while they are students at university uh, apply with a recommendation from their law uh, tutor or supervisor Um, and uh, those who are successful in interview get uh, placements usually in the summer um, of a week in chambers uh, with a, a member of the inn and a week marshalling for a judge Um, that's sort of work experience with a judge Uh, again a member of the inn and both weeks are paid which is critical Um, and the scheme is only open really to people who don't have established contacts it's it's not something designed for the sons or daughters of high court judges Um, uh, and we go to great lengths to make sure that there's a proper spread of all the, um, or very many, of the universities uh, across England and Wales. And uh, I've taken great pleasure in observing that some people who were successful in getting awards uh, in the early years of the scheme went on to get pupillage and, and uh, tenancies in chambers and so on.
0: It's a really brilliant scheme, and actually, if our listeners are interested in it, we speak to Uba in an earlier episode about her experience with the access to the bar scheme, and she said it genuinely changed her life. It's wonderful. One other thing just before we leave the social side of Middle Temple that I particularly enjoy is that very often we're encouraged to apply the rule of three before we leave an event. And the rule of three is that you have to try to speak to three people that you have never met before. And it's a really great way to, it gives you the confidence to go over to a group of people that you've never met met and introduce yourself but it also means that people who you've never met will come and introduce themselves to you so it makes the the whole event much less intimidating
1: that's right and the rule applies to everyone including benches including the treasurer and i I shall uh, take care to apply it to myself next year
2: certainly i think my experience of the inn is uh, if we're referring to the community as opposed to the the physical um, buildings is that it, it tries really hard to reflect its membership and the governing body of the inn in my experience has always been really open to suggestions that its members may make about activities and initiatives and i think that's an important point to emphasize so if if people want to join and contribute then my experience has been that they they will be very welcome
1: uh, i'm glad it, it's your uh, experience it certainly has been mine. Uh, and the the committee work of the inn and the advocacy training and the moot judging and the interaction with students, um, uh, all, all this is done very much by barrister members of Hall as well as by benchers. And uh, um, uh, if somebody is uh, to get good advocacy training, uh, they should get it from somebody who's still in active practice. If somebody wants to find out about um, current developments in the profession or what is life really like in chambers, they're much better coming to somebody like you, Beatrice, or you, Georgina, rather than somebody like me who left the bar for the bench 14 years ago.
0: We are in a room with three middle Templars, there are, of course, Lincoln's Inn, Gray's Inn and Inner Temple. And I tend to say to students that actually you can't go wrong whichever inn you choose. They all have different things to offer and they're all wonderful and welcoming places. Do you have any advice for students when thinking about how to choose an inn?
1: Oh, I suppose I should declare a massive conflict of interest. <laughs> of course I'm biased. Um, uh, I think the figures show that Middle Temple is extremely popular as an inn to join. Um, uh, Anecdotally, I'm often told by students and young barristers that Middle Temple has a reputation as a friendly inn. Um, We have led the way in, for example, um, giving an interview to everyone who applies for a scholarship award and not pre-selecting people on paper uh, are... Education department work fantastically hard, but they are very much appreciated, I think, by students. Um, sometimes uh, we think we're almost too popular. Um, uh, not everybody who joins our in or any inn, uh, of course, is guaranteed a pupillage and a tenancy. Um, uh, that remains terribly competitive and a very difficult stage of people's careers, Uh, but we do what we can. And uh, so, naturally, I think uh, um, uh, we are uh, a great inn to join. I I would, wouldn't I? Uh, I don't think there can be any serious doubt that of the four um, uh, great halls of the four inns, Middle Temple Hall is the finest by a very long way.
2: (laughs) Finally must Bean, i wondered if you had any advice for our listeners in terms of um what you wish you'd known when you were starting out
1: i don't think it's anything in related i i went to uh chambers for pupillage which really didn't suit me as as it turned out um they did quite high-flown commercial work um Uh, and that was not really what I was interested in doing. They also took far too many pupils. Um, uh, They took 12 at a time. Goodness. Um, uh, Only two got tenancies, and I was not one of the two, and I had to go elsewhere. Um, uh, And that was something I wish I had done differently.
2: So I suppose this this entirely supports what we were talking about earlier, that it, it's absolutely critical to try and gather as much information as you can from real live practitioners.
1: Yes. Um, meet as many as you can, um, get as many um, uh, episodes of work experience, even if it's only a day here, a day there. You build up a, a picture of better information rather than... Um, going to uh, uh, somewhere because uh, your uncle recommended it or your, your friend w- um, with whom you, you uh, shared digs at university or whatever recommended it. Try to make yourself better informed and you're more likely to uh, uh, end up in chambers where, where you will do well.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Master Bean, for joining us on the Pupillage podcast and the best of luck for your time as Master Treasurer. Thank you. The head of the judiciary, the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales, is currently a bencher of Middle Temple. The Right Honourable, the Lord Burnett of Malden, or Master Burnett, was called to the bar in 1980 and practised public law at what is now Temple Garden Chambers. He took silk in 1998 and became a High Court judge in 2008. was elevated to the Court of Appeal in 2014, and in 2017, he became a very young Lord Chief Justice. He came on the Pupilage podcast and told us how the Inn had helped him in his career
2: and passed on some invaluable ideas for today's students to obtain some insight into the profession. Welcome, Master Burnett, to the Pupilage podcast. Thank you ever so much for giving up your time to talk to us. It's my pleasure. The inns themselves are located in London, aren't they, by, uh, by Temple Tube Station. What about those of our listeners who live outside London? What can the inns offer them?
6: Well, you say it's located by Temple Tube Station. I would rather like to say it's located by the River Thames, which is rather more attractive than <laughs> Temple Tube Station. Fair enough. But the, the, the inns are located in, in London, and that's an historical accident. Uh, But the inns are able to offer an enormous range of resources to young student barristers. Uh, Importantly, there are uh, physical facilities for uh, libraries and computers and technology and matters of that sort. But that's not really all that the inn is about. It provides an opportunity for everybody to come into an environment where they can mix with others who have the same interests, that's to say an interest in becoming a barrister. They're able to mix with uh, students who are a little way ahead of them. They're able to mix with young barristers who are a few years ahead of them, and with the more senior members of the profession and the judiciary who are perhaps quite a long way ahead of them.
0: So it's the perfect opportunity for those who don't have family members and friends at the bar to meet barristers and ask questions.
6: There was a time, perhaps, when uh, having connections um, was too important for people who wanted to come to the bar. It was true, frankly, of pretty well every profession uh, until a few decades ago. And that simply doesn't matter anymore. And one of the joys of the inns of court and middle temple in particular and it was true when i started is that as a young student you can come in and you are in truth on a level of absolute equality with everybody else who you encounter whether that's a student or a barrister or a judge
2: i think for some of our listeners although of course it's it's lovely to hear that it still is difficult not to feel intimidated. Have you any advice for people who are just taking their first steps into joining the inn and getting involved with the inn's activities?
6: I'm sorry to hear that some people would feel intimidated by uh, joining an inn, not this inn in particular, but any of the three inns. I suppose the reality is that for almost everybody, the physical environment of the inn is different from... What they're used to. Um, the inn includes some wonderful historic buildings. Uh, it has quite a few buildings which are not very historic, the result of uh, wartime bomb damage. And inevitably, given it's uh, an organization that has existed for so many hundred years, it has dotted around its buildings reminders of its long history. Uh, But nobody should feel intimidated by that. I would hope that people might feel uplifted by it, and particularly by recognising that when coming to an inn of court, you're following in the footsteps of countless thousands of other students, ancient and modern, as it were, uh, and that there are enormous opportunities presented by the inn to become involved in the legal world, and that's something that should excite those who are interested in becoming barristers um, because you learn so much from talking to and uh, engaging with all of the other people in the inn.
0: What is dining in the context of the inn?
6: Well, the um, tradition of all the inns is that before qualification as a barrister, um, a student must uh, eat a certain number of dinners in the inn. Now that sounds deeply old-fashioned and, frankly, rather <laughs> weird. I suspect to, to <laughs> many people. But the the, the 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 history of it, as I understand it, was simply that it was uh, at those dinners that most of the legal training was done. And even when the legal training was largely done away from the inns, the tradition continued. But what's happened now? Um, and I think it's a very a, a very um, welcome development, is that uh, a lot of the dinners have associated with them um, educational opportunities, so lectures in particular of one sort or another. But again, the great value of them is that it enables those who don't know very many other students who are coming here, who don't perhaps know very many other um, barristers or any at all, Um, to be able to mix and mingle uh, and thus to learn
2: I think one of the challenges for our listeners who are looking for pupillage is that it, it can be terribly difficult to find out what it what it might actually be like to be for example a criminal practitioner how that might differ from specializing in wills and probate and so on and so forth so From what you're describing, it seems that joining in activities at the inn is just a fantastic opportunity to try and ask those questions of people who can tell you the answers.
6: Yes, I think it's really very important that anyone who's thinking of a career at the bar, and I I suspect it's true of any career, to be quite honest, is that before settling on a particular course, um, he or she's taken quite a lot of time and trouble to find out what really happens. Now obviously um, most who come to the inns are law graduates. Um, Those who are not law graduates will have done the uh, graduate conversion course and so most will have a fairly good idea of which areas of law excite their interest more than other areas of law. So that's a good starting point but everybody I think should try to get practical experience of different areas of legal practice. Now, there are lots of ways in which you can do that. As a as a student, as an undergraduate, uh, I would encourage anyone interested in coming to the bar to go and spend some time in courts and in courts of different sorts. I mean, looking back to my time, um, Lord Denning was master of the roles in his last two or three years when I was a student and I used to go and sit at the back of his court quite often really in part to see a legal giant wow. at work but also to see the constant stream of different type of types of cases that um, went through his court. I went and sat in the back of um, civil cases in London and elsewhere and that's something that anybody can do the next thing that I think anybody should think of doing is trying to um, arrange to spend time either in a firm of solicitors seeing what really goes on uh, or as a mini pupil in a in a chambers as it happens I did both I, I spent um, a summer v- vacation working for a firm of solicitors and uh, I also did a mini pupilage which I should say, I was still an undergraduate, and that was in 1978, and that was a fairly rare thing to do in those days. It was a, it was a, it was a fairly um, novel thing to do. But again, it shows you what, you what you think you might enjoy and what you think you mightn't. And also, and here the inn can help, I think it extremely valuable to spend a few days with a judge, if that can be arranged, because you see how things work from a different perspective.
0: Your career took you from practice in the chambers, in fact, only minutes walk from where we're sitting now, to becoming the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales. What advice do you have for our listeners that you perhaps wish that you had known when you were starting out?
6: Um, I, I count myself as being enormously fortunate to have had some of the opportunities that I've just described. Um, They were opportunities available, actually, to anybody who took the trouble to find them. So working in a solicitor's office, doing a mini-pupillage, spending time um, with uh, with a judge. So by the time I started as a pupil, I had a fairly clear idea that I thought I would enjoy common law work, and my practice was in common law and and um, public law. Um, What what do I wish I had known? Uh, I wish I had appreciated when I started just how much hard work would be involved in developing and sustaining uh, a decent career at the bar. It's not for the faint-hearted, I I have to say. Um, But I come back to something I mentioned earlier... If you take the trouble to find out uh, what opportunities are available in all sorts of different fields and you try to have a good look at your own self to understand what motivates you, what excites you, what interests you, uh, then you'll have a wonderful time at the bar.
2: Master Burnett, thank you ever so much for speaking to the Pupilage podcast. My pleasure. Alex Cisneros is a tenant at Number 5 Chambers. He was called to the bar in 2015, and before starting pupillage, he signed up to the inn's mentoring scheme. He told us about its advantages. Hello, Alex. It's lovely to see you. Could we ask you a bit about mentoring, please? You're a member of Middle Temple, and I think you have participated in the mentoring scheme. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it and what the chief benefits from your perspective were?
7: Yes, so um, Middle Temple and I think a couple of the other inns offer an ability for I think it might be third-year students or even post-university students to get an individual who is a practicing barrister as their mentor. Uh, I think the mentoring relationship is to assist with pupillage applications, but obviously that's between you and your mentor. You can uh, get help with all sorts of legal questions if you want to, but. Middle Temple especially, what you do is you Google mentoring Middle Temple and there's an application form that you fill in. Uh, It's effectively what area almost of law that you're interested in uh, and what stage you're at. Um, There's no, as far as I understand or remember, uh, rigorous sort of interview application process to get a mentor. It's meant to assist with access to the bar rather than prohibit it. But my mentor was incredibly useful because, of course, an insight into the bar is useful. I, I come from a family that don't have any insight into the law, let alone the bar. So having a barrister who knows the ins and outs of how the system works is useful. And you can ask questions in, in a very informal way of that person. Um, that's useful. The, the second thing I found particularly useful for having a mentor is having a professional, a barrister who is already in the profession, uh, telling me that this is okay, this is you're, you're doing fine, you are good enough to be a barrister, uh, increase my confidence. So actually, although all the relationship might be is an ego building exercise, even that is incredibly useful. You're up against so many people and you're constantly told at bar school that there are hundreds of applicants who are like you, who are going through the same process as you. So it's a bit soul destroying. if someone who you trust and who you know is a good barrister is telling you, yeah, no, that's true, but, you know, you're, you're one of the good ones, um, that gives you the ability to walk into an interview with your head held high because you know that you're good enough to be in this profession. Um, and finally, I think there is something to be said about practising interviews, and a mentor is a barrister who might be someone who does their own interviews in their own chambers. So if they're willing to... Um, Having a person to practice with can be really useful um, because they can give you very frank and informal advice about what to do and what not to do uh, when it comes to the real thing. So get a mentor. They're very useful. Um, Doesn't hurt to uh, get get someone on your side who's already in the profession. Uh, And also it means that you're on level playing field with people who might you might say um, have come to the profession with familial sort of contacts. That is something that you can sort of help with.
2: I think think it's right, isn't it, that your mentor can offer a safe environment in which to explore some of the things that you'll need to explore on the way to becoming a barrister. So you can perhaps ask him or her to look at your CV, to identify gaps, to help you understand your own strengths and weaknesses in a way that you're not going to if it doesn't matter if your weaknesses are revealed because the whole point is they're there to help you remedy that or to do even better with your application
7: absolutely and I I think what you're saying about a safe space to do that in that that's incredibly important when you're starting out in the process of applying for pupillage you don't know what it's like Uh, you you, it's almost you're jumping into the unknown speak to someone who has done the process before uh, and has come through pupillage and are at the other end and also who might actually be the interviewers for their own chambers is really useful because, yes, you can ask them the silly questions and you can make the mistakes in a safe space, in a room where it doesn't matter. And then when you go and do the final interview, I say final interview, but the real thing in front of a different chambers, um, then, yeah, you, you've already made the mistakes. So what you're doing then is, is the, the good stuff. Um, so, yes, make the mistakes with your mentor. Don't make them with the interview panel. <laughs>
0: We heard some more about this topic from Alina Misra of Old Square Chambers. Um, for those students out there who have been allocated a sponsor, is a sponsor a useful way to get a bit of insight into what a Chambers is really like?
2: Yes, I think it is. And I, had, um, I can say that um, my Middle Temple sponsor ended up being um, my, my mentor for many years um, in my, my set of Chambers and, and a very, very dear friend. Um, and I, I can't recommend enough um, making... Making use of those sorts of opportunities. So Caroline, who was my Middle Temple sponsor, told me all sorts of useful things um, about chambers, about the sort of things that are not necessarily as obvious to you from the outside, um, as well as giving me loads of practical tips about life at the bar in general. And um, Sometimes it can actually be useful to have a sponsor who's not in your set of chambers and it was just a coincidence that it turned out that way in the end, um, because sometimes you might want to have someone who you can confide in or just have a bit of a chat to. But um, yeah, it's an incredibly useful way of doing um, doing that. Master Andrew Hockhauser told us about some of the funding opportunities available from the Middle Temple.
0: We have lots of listeners who will be very interested to hear about the scholarships that are offered by the INS, and the INS have an extremely generous scholarship programme. I wonder if you could tell our listeners a bit about it.
8: We have a strict policy that has now been adopted by some of the other INS of interviewing every candidate that applies for a scholarship, because being a barrister is above all about advocacy, and therefore we wish to see the candidate in action. So some people look very good on paper, mm. but when you see them up close and personal, um, it's much, uh, much m- more difficult to make a case. Yes. And some excel and some do not, and there can be many surprises. Um, we offer about a million pounds a year, which we distribute amongst a number of uh, students, some of whom are doing the, the conversion course, the GDL course, and some of whom are doing, the majority of whom are doing the BPTC course, um, all are subject to the same objective criteria. And once they have satisfied that, they are means tested as to the amount of money that we award. So the amount that you will get is according to your need, a policy that is not always adopted by every in
0: Do you have any advice for people preparing for scholarship interviews?
8: There are certain questions which one should obviously prepare for. Um, Firstly, if you are going to put something down on your CV, do not make up something. Um, If you say you have a fascinating interest in cinema, you will be asked questions such as, what was the last film that you saw? And did you think it was a good piece or a bad piece? Um, If you haven't got answers to those questions, it rather calls into question the accuracy of your statement that you have a lifelong passion for cinema. So if you're going to put down a hobby, make sure you can back it up. Similarly, if you express an interest in a particular area of law, don't be indiscriminate about it. Um, You will be asked a question of what has been the most interesting development in that area of law, or what important decision have you read within the last six months that you think has made a major difference to this area of your so-called interest. If you cannot answer that question, it looks bad. So if you're going to profess an expertise, make sure that you've got the means to back it up. So that's one question that, that uh, is often put to people um, when, when interrogating them about their CVs. Uh, other areas Um, Remember, this is about the art of persuasion. And you, therefore, have to illustrate that you have an interest in being an advocate, in persuading people, in both written and oral work. And we will be looking for that. We want to see the great advocates of the future and to encourage them and to support them financially. But you have got to make your case. So in your CV, we will be looking for signs of when you have had the opportunity to make some kind of persuasive case. And it needn't just be in the conventional... Forum of um, mooting or debating you know you could do some other you can give an example of where you've helped somebody with a legal problem that you've been a Mackenzie friend for them in in a court that you have considered doing some form of pro bono work that you have advocated somebody's cause it needn't be a conventional way of doing it but people will want to see how it is that you have the means to be a persuasive advocate.
0: For anyone wondering how to spend a year out before pupillage, the Harold G. Fox Scholarship offers an unparalleled opportunity to work in a prestigious Toronto law firm for 10 months and, as we hear from Alex Robson of Littleton Chambers, the chance to become seriously good at ice skating. I know what the Harold G. Fox Scholarship is, but perhaps you can tell our listeners.
9: Yes. Um, It starts with the man himself, Harold G. Fox, who, legend has it, was um, a successful lawyer in Canada um, who uh, one day had a client in his office who had a great idea and wanted it patented but couldn't afford to pay his fees. And uh, Harold G. Fox agreed to essentially take a commission on the patent that this individual was um, looking to secure. And the product was the zipper, the zip that you have in your jackets and your um, trousers. And uh, Harold G. Fox, a result, became tremendously wealthy. And one of the ways in which he uh, spent his money was to uh, give some to it, uh, enable... Um, a transfer of two people from England to Canada and two from Canada every year to law students. And Georgina and I were lucky enough to be the two that went from London to Toronto um, for six months. Um, And during that time we spent six months working in a law firm, in a litigation firm, learning how the practice of law works in uh, Ontario. Uh, as a solicitor and because they have a fused profession also learning how it works as a barrister
0: and in Alex's case learning how to get extremely good at ice skating along the way
9: that is true (laughs) (laughs) one of the advantages of uh, freezing cold Toronto is ice skating what happened to you on ice skates then Um, I wasn't quite as graceful as
0: Alex I think it's fair to say or as fast (laughs) and
9: I was no good at all by the end but I was much better than I was when I started off
0: (laughs) It, it, it was a
9: fantastic experience we were both out there for six months The scholarship
0: is actually now extended to 10 months um, and applications take place early in each um, calendar year. And I was going to say, I, I, I'm not quite sure
2: when it was in your trajectory that you went to Canada. Was it after degree and before bar school
9: or...? It was, it was in that awkward gap, which some people hope they won't have, when you've applied for pupillage and failed and, um, and therefore have a year to fill. And so it was my year was after the BVC, as it then was, BPTC as it is now, and before starting pupillage. So it was a brilliant... Um, way to spend uh, nine months between BPTC and starting pupillage.
0: The other thing we should say about the Fox Scholarship is that although it's administered by Middle Temple, it is open to students of all inns.
2: Michael Harwood is the president of Middle Temple's Young Bar Association, MATIBA as it's known.
10: So MATIBA is the Middle Temple Young Barristers Association, um, and that is a group within the inn which is effectively responsible for representing its, all of its young barrister members. Um, and membership starts automatically um, at the date of call to the bar, and it runs right the way through to seven years, your first seven years of practice effectively, so seven years post-pupillage. Um, so with that in mind, our membership, broadly speaking, falls into three main groups. The first are those who have been called and have yet to start and are looking for pupillage. Uh, the second are those who are currently in pupillage whether that's first or second six or in many cases third six as well uh, and then our final group are those who have sort of made it through all of that um, and are sort of finding finding their way charting their steps in in those first seven years of practice. And what does Matiba do? Well a whole range of things and increasingly more and more. Um, so. We put on quite a lot of events throughout the year to support those three main groups. So taking this individually um, for those who are still on the hunt for pupillage, we run a lot in and around the main sort of gateway timetable. So we do um, events, panel events for uh, based on the sort of the writing of the drafting, the application form, um, providing some top tips and feedback on that. Um, we run quite a lot of mock interviews um, and around interview time, sort of mock first and second round interviews. Um, and then we also provide some other opportunities. We run an advocacy competition, which is currently going on at the moment. Um, and that's available to everybody. But generally speaking, it will be those who um, are looking for those extra things to add to their CV who will be taking part in that.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to the Pupilage podcast with us, Beatrice Collier and Georgina Wolfe, brought to you by Middle
0: Temple. Production support and music by Alex Doppirala. Huge thanks to the wonderful team here at Middle Temple. James Rogerson for helping us with the logistics. Darren Latty for coffees and pastries. And Colin Davidson for his enthusiasm, encouragement and awe-inspiring Little Black Book. We'd also like to thank all our clerks and our senior clerk, Mark Waller, who've not disowned us for sneaking off down the road to Middle Temple for recording sessions. Please check out the show notes for more on our guests, links to sources of information, and a glossary of terms used in each episode. If you have questions you would like answered in future episodes or want to give us some feedback, please email us at pupillagepodcast at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast. Be confident that Middle Temple really is the Gryffindor of the inns.